Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. Welcome to episode 60 of the Wonders of Thetis podcast, where I made an executive decision to talk and to mention what our topic was going to be, because this one has been a long time coming, and I've been very excited to talk about it. And I know a couple other folks, like Leona, have been excited to talk about it. Uh, we're talking about the trap-making talent. Yeah. I mean, uh, this has been sort of in the options for... Uh votes for a long time and uh-huh. y'all have really never voted for it like yeah, uh i've I mean, gotten a couple votes but usually there ends up being like a fourth option that everyone is super cool for. that everybody's really yeah. excited about which you know yeah, what get I'm excited glad. we're putting blades and walls and fire in more fire and and it's gonna be it's gonna be neat it's gonna be real cool and dangerous super dangerous so well, we will not waste any time, and we'll go ahead and jump right into the Codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. We've got a couple of good ones this time around. Uh, first one comes from our good friend, Parcival. We know him as Toby on the Green Ronin forums. Amen. Thank you so much again. Um, this one's a little bit two part, a little bit part, uh, like a two parter, but I wanted to get it all for context. Okay. Um, Toby writes, I'd like to hear your views on some of the common house rules that people use reducing the stun point cost for Envenom, for example. There seems to be a lot of GMs who feel that the poison rules are not powerful enough or are too costly in terms of talents, focuses, and gold. I know you are going to be covering trap making talents soon, and I imagine similar issues arise with regards to it. It seems very difficult to utilize in the midst of battle, though it can be useful in ambushes or on prepared ground. One question I'd like to pose is, how would you introduce the Inquisition-style trap of Caltrops? This is useful as an instant resource, usable in the heat of battle. Would you make it a new stunt? What mechanism of damage and restricting movement would you use? Could it be upgraded as the journeyman and master talents of trap-making are gained? Ooh, I like this idea. So, uh, kind of two questions in here. Uh, the first one, just mentioning our views on uh, house rules for uh, boosting the power of poison-making, which we yeah. covered a little while ago. I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm. It's... The only downside to uh, reducing the stunt point cost for these things is there's no save or resist or anything for mm-hmm. these poisons. That uh, extra damage or effect, unless it specifically calls for one, which I think only like two of them do. Yeah, it just happens. Mm-hmm. So that would be part of the... I would say like, you know, there could be a... Uh, you know, the, the costliness in terms of talents, I think that could mm-hmm. be reasonable. Like, talents are hard to freaking come by. Mm-hmm. So, reducing the cost in talents or combining it with another talent, I think, is reasonable. I would be very careful about reducing the stunt point cost, though. Because right now, when you have the poison-making talent uh, and you have a poison on your weapon, it costs two stunt points for you to make the poison hit the target. Yeah. Otherwise, you just you just damage them normally. And then if you don't have the poison-making talent, it costs you four stun points to use the poison effectively. Yeah. It seems a little weird, though, that that's the case. I feel mm-hmm. like once you've got poison, like just from a logistics standpoint, once you've got mm-hmm. poison on a blade, like blade goes in person, poison goes in person. That's mm-hmm. 
kind of how physics works, I guess? Uh, yeah. I don't... I think it's more meant to be like... You put the poison in a place, like you stick the poison in a place where it does the where it does what it's supposed to. The bloodstream, I thought, <laughs> would be the place where that that like isn't that where poisons yeah, are supposed could, to like, go? You could get it more into like like nick like managed to nick an artery or a large. Or if a you nick an man. artery, poison is not the thing the person <laughs> should be worried about. That's a lethal blow. That's a gusher right there. Mm-hmm. Catch yourself a gusher. But yeah, uh, so that is an understandable concern, especially uh, now. The cost of taking the talent really only requires you to have one focus. You mm. don't need to have a specific ability at, ra- at a specific It is expensive rating. gold-wise, though, um, it can be. It can be expensive gold-wise, but I would argue you're probably not spending that gold on much else. Since um, buying equipment, since, you know, there's not a lot of, like, I mean, there's equipment to buy, but not a lot of. But like, once you buy a ni- like a nice sword and you and a nice suit of armor and shield, you're that's you're pretty set. Mm-hmm. Um, you might use it for like story specific things, like buying a ticket on a ferry or bribing somebody, things like that. But mm-hmm. I at least it seemed to me that I had to make up things for folks to buy. Yeah, we kind of did. So, like, when people... And I had to make them rather expensive, so... Yeah, and to be fair, you all of your players were coming... F- like, we tried not to bring this with us, but mm-hmm. subconsciously it's gonna... You, and yourself included, mm-hmm. we are all coming from an expectation where magic items are... And items themselves are an important and integral part of play. Yeah. That said, gold doesn't really seem to matter as much if there's not as much cool stuff yeah. to spend it on. There's nothing to spend it on, then. That's not to say I didn't yeah. enjoy buying, like, three pounds of candy, but... <laughs> fair enough. I mean, you can only do that so many times before I think that's you start fair. rotting your teeth out. But... I think that's something to keep in mind, is especially once you start getting to higher levels and you start getting more treasure, there's not that much stuff to spend on just yet. That might change later down the road, and say, or with later with other iterations of age. Although actually, the iterations of age that have come now have kind of just done away with keeping track of how much money you have. Blue Rose doesn't—you don't really keep track of money at all. And uh, modern age, you have like uh, a resources rating, and if you want to obtain something, you roll a test. And add your resources rating. And if you rolled mm-hmm. high enough, you just have the resources to obtain it. I feel like we've gone off track. So, I guess let's see. So, I guess the the thing what we're trying to the things we're coming across are reducing the stunt point cost or even removing the stunt altogether. Uh, at least uh, you know what it would actually make a lot of sense for folks who have poison making to not have to spend talent point, stunt points on it. But maybe people who don't have poison making have to spend a stunt. Um, on it. I'm also, I'm still a little worried about completely removing the need for stunt points yeah. because there's no resist test. There's mm-hmm. no any way to not get poisoned at that mm-hmm. point. Like maybe can't make it cost one stunt point. I could see one stunt point, or yeah, just a reduced cost. Like I said, just be careful. Mm-hmm. As far as trap making goes, um, trap making, as we'll discuss later, is not a hundred percent. Great idea, wonderful, do it now tactic to take in the middle of battle. Because just making any trap requires at least a minute. And with sort of talents being at a premium, it makes sense that you might not be super juiced to take it if you're in a very combat-heavy campaign. Mm -hmm. But it's great for NPCs. It's great for NPCs. It's great for the GM to take. Uh, It can be good if your characters are canny enough to maybe like 
have one of the PCs trap an area. If you're doing a lot of base defense, it's... uh, If you're doing a lot of base defense, or if you want to get clever, you could have somebody, like, trap uh, a long long area and then have one of the scouts or allies go ahead and pull folks, take a a safer route, but try and get these folks to come through the dangerous route. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's right. I really like the idea of adding the caltrops to the list, giving an actual combat-ready... Mm-hmm. Sort of battlefield control action mm-hmm. for uh, for the trap making talent. Although I'm not sure why a regular person couldn't just throw a bag of caltrops on the ground and call it good. But yeah, you'd probably do that. The thing is, I, I do I do think it would be nice to sort of upgrade the sort of traps mm-hmm. whole set. Like gotcha. there's there's not a lot to be done with traps and trap mm-hmm. mastery in direct combat. Mm-hmm. But if you could just be like you know, eat caltrops, then you can make life difficult in mm-hmm. some way or another for the people who are trying to get to you, which gives um, you another, a more sort of a quicker, more moldable battlefield control. I could see potentially just may, voluntarily like making the target number to make a trap higher mm-hmm. to make it faster. Especially because, like, one of the traps, one of the trap, like, additional effects you can do later is just a, a grease slick. So you could perhaps, like, ju- or, it's a, or even, like, if you've got, if you it's a, if your GM is okay with it, you could just say, hey, can I just dump my grease slick on the ground? Because I got it here. I feel like you might end up having to dodge it yourself, but... Mm-hmm. The GM may have to go through some, uh, a little bit of GM fiat, because that normally requires you to spend resources uh, from a trap maker's kit, which we'll get into later. Um, but I, I'd say I think like doing that would be fine. Just you know, like making caltrops, you maybe how we do it probably wouldn't deal that much damage. But I think the real damage of it would be slowing down foes, because the idea of these of caltrops is that there's just they're just you know. And they're really sharp, like uh, like jacks that you would toss it's on a, the ground. You're you're throw you're taking all your D fours out of your dice set, <laughs> all your layers. and you're throwing them on the ground. And all of us who you know, if you've been playing the uh, tabletops for a while, you've stepped on a D four at least once. You're not gonna want to walk very quickly after nope. that. So the idea, I think, of caltrops is that they're supposed to you know slow people down because they get a bladed piece of metal stuck in their foot. Yep. So they either don't want to keep moving, or they move an awful lot slower, and it requires a bit of surgery to get it out. Mm-hmm. Or they see, even then, they like they see them on the ground, and mm-hmm. it's like, I can't run through that without... Mm-hmm. Or maybe you know. they have to, they'll like, shuffle through the across the ground to, uh, or like, try and swipe them away, but even then, that costs them time. Yep. So you could, you could definitely, if you throw them in a square that somebody's already in, they might take a small amount of damage, mm-hmm. and, you know, if somebody comes through it... Maybe then they have to, like, add, like it costs more squares of movement to get there or mm-hmm. make an acrobatics test to avoid that. But if you fail, then you take the damage mm-hmm. and then your movement's slowed for longer. Like, yep. Yep, yep. you know, I'm sure this could I be like built. That. We could build like this. That. It's not hard. Mm-hmm. Then we don't have to think about how big of an area it would be. Probably not too big, but... Maybe like a two-by-two two area? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. Maybe you can buy bigger ones that cover a larger area. <laughs> Big bag of caltrops. <laughs> Just like. have this huge jangling bag of, of jagged bits of metal. It's like Santa's uh, <laughs> toy present, you know, present sack, except it's just full of D4s. <laughs> what have you done? I'm just saying. I mean, I think that would work pretty well. 
Yeah. Go for it. Hope that helps you, Tart Parsifal. Toby. Our good yeah, fr- friend. Hopefully answered your question. Uh, next question comes from, uh, and I, this one looks a little longer because I added some notes because I did a bit of research. I see. Uh, from Andy Coleman through the Green Running Forums. Uh Andy Coleman, you asked me this question a little while ago. Uh, I double-checked with you, uh, asking if you wanted me to answer it on the show or right away. I didn't get a response, so we're just going to answer it on the show. All right. Because it's a good question. Uh, let's see. Andy Coleman writes, I am an occasional listener of the Wonders of Thetis podcast and well, a new GM. Uh, I've run a few scenarios for my friend group, and I'm just going through the spells so that I can get things straight in my head, and I have some questions regarding casting spells and ranges. Some spells, like Animate Dead, require you to be adjacent to the target so you can physically touch them, or Affliction Hex, but states that the primary target needs to be within 30-foot range, while other spells like Anti-Magic Ward have no ranged details specified in the core rulebook. How do you handle this? Uh, it kind of depends on the spell. Yeah. I mean, common sense rules mm-hmm. are an easy one for some of this, but yeah. uh, for others, it like some of them will not have a range, but then they will say in the... Um, like in the description, mm-hmm. you know, your touch yeah. does this, or you touch a friend to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's often one that gives you that yeah. sort of your hint that like, this yeah. is probably a touch now, range. I actually went through the spells and I found four spells that have no mention of whether you touch somebody or what the range is. It just says like, uh, for anti-magic ward, it was like, you ward a friend against, against harmful magic. Uh, so... Not super helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went through a quick... I found a quick uh, list of spells that do not list much of anything for ranges. The rest of them are all pretty clear that you either touch them or it's within a specific amount of yards. Yeah. Uh, but these four did not. Um, first one, of course, being Anti-Magic Ward, like you mentioned. Uh, you could probably mention that it's likely touch, since a lot of spells like that usually are. Um, but... A couple of spells, kind of like uh, Heroic Defense or Heroic Aura, let you cast the spell on a friend who is far away. I would assume that there is a small amount of range. It's on It's on about the same level as like Heroic Defense and that mm-hmm. sort of... It's an upper level, uh, a mid to upper level um, sort of spirit spell. Boosty. Yeah, so I, I would say that like a... I don't know, at least a five yard, or mm-hmm. not a five, at least a ten yard ten range, yard, like yeah. five squares. Like somewhere between ten and twenty. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think ten squares, or five squares, ten squares, that's pretty reasonable. That spell can be lifesaving for some of your friends, especially if you're going up against a bunch of entry mages, and yeah. you have a bunch of rogues and warriors who did not invest in magic. Because of course they didn't. Yeah. If, you're, if your friends are, I don't know, really bad at magic, and you have to save them by taking this spell, and then you go fight a big mage in the Fade, and then uh, you're kind of uh, pretty boss for having that spell. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, next one that I found was Curse of Mortality. Curse of Mortality Ooh. does not list any kind of range, but it is a mean, mean spell. So you're going to probably, some folks are probably going to want to know how it works. Now, uh... For when we did, of course, did the uh, entropy episode covering the entropy magic, it was very easy to see that a lot of these spells had really nice ranges. So mm-hmm. there's range, no reason to believe this would be any different, right? So a range of about twenty to thirty yards would, for curse of mortality would not be out of the question. A range of touch is very uncommon for offensive spells in dragon offensive spells in dragon age, so it would be consistent to make it a ranged spell in the first place. Next spell that I found was haste. The spell, and 
these are my suggestions for it. This spell already costs a lot of mana, and it relies on the ally generating stun points, so giving me a good long range would probably be reasonable. Haste is not, yeah, haste is not super good. So, we give it this boost, give it like a 30-yard range. Yeah, just... Just let them have this. (laughs) Just let them have that. They worked really hard to get here, and it's not the best view in the... It's not... You climb this mountain, it's a nasty mountain. Really, the view, it's kind of obscured by by trees. It's not not great. If you've got it, give it a nice range, because it's already relying on a lot of stuff, and it costs an awful lot of mana for you, uh, the spellcaster. So, you know, be kind. I I don't think that's out of the question. Next, uh, the next spell was Pit. The yeah. spell claims that you carve this into the stone, but it is unclear if you have to be touching the stone or if you are carving it with your mind. It does say into the earth or nearby stone, so you may create the affected area next to you like a flame blast or a cone of cold. Uh, but alternatively, the spell Earthquake, which has a similar earthy theme, has a range of 30 yards, so you could probably use that. Yeah. I thought it would probably wouldn't be unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Maybe have to at least be in contact with the ground or something? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, sure. So I, I hope that helps, Andy Coleman. Anyway, hopefully we've answered your questions. And of course, if you out uh, there... Uh, sorry, you want to If you have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes, or anything else, send a message to wondersofthetispodcast at gmail.com, send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Cot the Protector or Healer Puff on the Green Running forums, or send a message to Cot or Lise on the D20 radio forums. That's us. <laughs> Turn in the script. I like it. Nicely done. So we do not have anything for the Distant Verses this time around, but that is okay. Uh, I understand that have, we have a couple of listeners who are currently working on some things. I believe that there were some spell cards potentially coming out. Which We're looking forward to seeing yeah, what you make, friends. Saw a couple of those, and they looked pretty neat. Of course, you can find all of our previous submissions and our own creations archived on our resources for your game page on our blog, wonderstathetispodcast.wordpress.com. If you want to share us a thing, mm-hmm. send it to all those places we just said. Please do. Tell us about it. We're always excited to share more stuff. You know it. All right. Do you want to make a pun about traps, or do you just want to get to the main topic? You... Did you think I was going to just... Trap you with one sort of entrapment. I, I walked into that one, didn't I? This is the main topic for today. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. A tiny Bebo has fallen into our trap. Yes, one, one small cat. So if you hear any uh, meows... Chirps or trills. That is from our cat BB. So. There's a trap in my lap. Hmm. Put a cat in it. Trap making is the third and final crafting talent uh, in Dragon Age in the Dragon Age RPG. We've already covered poison making and rune crafting in episodes 58 and 54, respectively. Feel free to check those out if you're interested in more ways to add depth to your game. Today, we cover the laying of traps, creating a battlefield that you control, and giving NPCs more ways to harry the PCs. This talent can be found on page 64 of the core rulebook, and the rules for traps can be found on pages 97 to 99 if you want to follow along with us. Please do. Please do. Let's see. Now everyone open up your textbooks. Page 97. 
Well, I guess we'll actually we'll start on 64. Because we're going to talk about the talent itself. Uh, as with all the other crafting systems in Dragon Age RPG, the PCs gain access to these rules through a talent. The trap-making talent requires two things. That you are any character class, and you have the dexterity crafting focus. You have to have a class. You have Does to that have... count as a requirement? Probably not. That, that's not a whole lot of requirements. Yeah, the only real requirement is that you need dexterity crafting, and that's it. Uh, now, you, of course, you're going to be using that dexterity crafting test for making the traps themselves, uh, but we would make a recommendation that you, uh, if you want to be master of traps, you'll also want to invest in the following focuses. Cunning engineering, cunning natural lore, dexterity traps, <laughs> perception searching, and perception seeing. In retrospect, dexterity traps may sh- maybe should be bumped to the top of that list. Yeah, probably should. I went in alphabetical order. Oh, okay. So there it is, right in the middle. But that one's kind of a no-brainer. You probably should be doing that anyway. Yes. Now, when you take the novice degree, you, of course, unlock the ability to craft traps for yourself. You can make traps with up to a 2d6 base damage, and you can give them one additional effect. We'll be covering what all those, what that means uh, later on. You also gain a plus one bonus to understanding traps that you find and to disarming them. Uh, the journeyman degree works as the novice degree, but the base damage that you can achieve goes up to 4d6, and you can add two additional effects. Uh, your bonus to disarm and understand traps goes up to plus two. And a master degree, the base damage for your traps goes up to 6d6, and, any, and you can add as many additional effects as you want, uh, or that you have room for, which we'll mm-hmm. cover later. Uh, and of course, your bonus to understanding and disarming traps goes up to plus three. So, even if you're not necessarily making traps, if you're planning to go up against other trap makers, you're still going to get a little bit of mileage out of that talent. But we highly recommend trying to make some traps because there's some cool stuff. And we'll take it step by step. First is, uh, how are you going to go about setting traps? When you take the trap making talent, you learn to cobble together a trap maker's kit that is filled with mechanisms, blades, springs, and other doodads that help you make your traps. You don't need to be specific about what's in it. Uh, you do need to know how much value, quote-unquote, the assembled parts cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, a decent trap-making kit is worth about 10 silvers, but you can spend silvers and sovereigns to increase the value of the parts by the same amount. Essentially just kind of like spending money to add stuff to the bag. So if yeah. you've got money and you have 50 silvers worth of parts, you can add a whole gold to it, making the whole kit worth a total of 1 gold and 50 silvers. Yeah, got some really quality stabby bits in mm-hmm. there. Uh, put this value somewhere on your character sheet or place it on a note card with your sheet because you're going to need to be keep tracking, keeping track of it very closely. Now, setting a trap itself takes a minute of work and an dexterity crafting test. When you decide to make the trap, you declare before rolling how powerful you want the trap to be. This determines the trap's base damage and its target number to craft. Your traps have a potential amount of damage based on your expertise. If you have the novice degree, you can make a trap that deals up to 2d6 damage at most. Uh, at journeyman, it increases to 4d6, and at master, it increases to 6d6. And when that's Pretty penetrating, nice. that hurts. Oh, yes. Uh, the amount of potential damage this trap deals uh, determines the target number to craft the trap and the cost of the parts to make the trap itself. You subtract the cost of the trap from your kit. You just kind of abstractly pull out the pieces that you need, which reduces the value of your trap kit. You're, so you're, But it does save yeah. you the time of having to be like, okay, well, I need 18 springs, 17 cogs. Like mm-hmm. We keep it abstract. Keep it simple. We just track it in money. I mean, if you really want to. Like, if you really want to. I mean, that could be cool. Go for it? 
you can of course find the table for these values on page 97. If you do not have enough parts in your kit or you want to scavenge some parts that can be used to cobble the trap together, you can instead make a cunning natural lore or a perception searching test of the same target number required to build the trap in the first place. Succeeding this test means that you find materials and objects from the environment that can be used to make the trap, and the trap costs you no value from your kit. Failing this test means that you find no materials and you have to use the kit's parts instead. Now, if you succeed at the tests at the end of the minute, you have set a trap. If you fail, you might lose your materials. Uh, you don't spring the trap on yourself, at the very least. But, if you make the dexterity crafting test to make the trap and you don't hit the target number, you make a second dexterity crafting test against the same target number. Uh, and if you succeed, you keep your materials and you do not lose those pieces from your, from your trap kit. If you fail, those that, that value is gone forever. Mm-hmm. Gotta take that risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, in its base state, traps are pretty abstract but very direct. Uh, where the trap is placed and who it targets should be clearly stated by the trap maker, but you do have a bit of wiggle room in exactly what it means. So you could say something like, This trap triggers on a creature who tries to open this chest. This trap triggers when a creature steps on this pressure plate. Uh, this trap triggers when something walks through the door. This trap triggers when something tugs the tripwire. This trap triggers when you try to keep it from scratching you. <laughs> It gets very mad. Oh, or even you could even be as specific as this trap triggers when you try to unlock this door without the key. Now, being specific on things like that, or even like giving the trap bypa- uh, bypass functions, might be subject to your GM. But I, I don't see any reason why not. In its base form, a trap targets one creature with its damage if the trap is not disarmed or avoided. Mm-hmm. Now, when you make a trap. You determine its base damage from 1d6 to 66. You can always choose to make it less powerful than your maximum if you want it to. If you want to make it if cost less, you want less. to maybe not obliterate whoever comes through, just maybe hinder. <laughs> right, them. or you just don't have a lot of money to throw at it, or you're not super confident about making the target number today. Mm-hmm. So you can always make it smaller. Uh, now, of course, this is going to. Let's see, uh, when uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. Uh, anyway, abandoning <laughs> abandoning that thought. There are many things you can do with a trap besides just dealing damage. When you create a trap and you decide the base damage of the trap, you can spend the base damage to add extra effects. So you essentially Mm. sacrifice the damage for more clever maneuvers for your trap to perform. Uh, Adding an effect to a trap uh, by decreasing its damage does a few things beyond beyond just decreasing the damage of the trap and the the extra effect you're adding. Uh, If you see every extra effect that you add to a trap increases the target number to make it by one and doubles the cost of the trap and that is cumulative so if you're adding two effects it will increase the target number by two and quadruple the, t- the cost of the trap now for some of the cheaper traps like making a 2d6 base trap that's i mean that it, 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 it would cost 40 silvers to make that trap that Ooh. said that there's a certain amount of cost effectiveness that's non-existent yes. if you're hitting one you know if you're trying to use traps for their intended mm-hmm. purpose which is like to defend an area mm-hmm. but they only affect one person and mm-hmm. you've got maybe like 10 people coming your way you best be like an Orlesian noble or something because that's gonna cost you gonna cost you it's it's a bit of a bit of a downside mm-hmm. to uh, this particular list maybe this is why everybody wasn't hmm. super juiced about traps because you know yeah. none of us have that because kind they're of goal. poor Ah, uh, there you go. They gotta go make money. Which hopefully you folks are handing out. 
There's treasure tra- there's treasure tables and then say in that rewards chapter. We better be really generous if you've got mm-hmm. a trap master. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, sure, why not? Now, uh, as an example, just to kind of illustrate what we were talking about, let's say that you're a journeyman trap maker and you decide to go for the bo- go for the big one and make a four d six base damage trap. The target number normally is fifteen, and the cost normally is fifty silvers. You decide to make the trap more difficult to find as the enemy is very perceptive, so you add the hidden effect. This decreases the damage, the trap's damage by 2d6 and increases the target number of perception-based tests to find it by 4. This increases the, targets, the target number by 1 to a total of 16 and doubles the cost from 50 silvers to 100 silvers. Ouch. So one gold. So, so there's lots of different things you can do, mm-hmm. though. Even as a novice, you can change Oh, them. yes. Did you want to go ahead and read them? Um, sure. Um, if you're, you know, obviously things get better when, as you get farther along, but there's some, some of the really sort of bread and butter things appear to come in and now this level, which is good. Mm-hmm. You can, ob- you can make an area of effect. So now it damages a two by two square, uh, a two yard radius, which is, uh, actually that would be, That'd be a nine two square, by two, right? a two yard radius is a one square radius. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a two by two. Is it targeting a? Is it targeting an intersection or a square? That's a good point, actually. I would assume it targets a square because it, it targets does. a single person, which means oh. that you're hitting nine a by, squares. A three by three area. You're I, like, three by I like. Three. I like that better. I like that better. Well, that's much more worth it. That is not bad. That's a good point. Yep. Uh, you can make it intricate, which makes it harder to disarm. Increases the target number to disarm it by three. Which uh, could be particularly useful if you know the other side has someone who's good at disabling traps. Mm-hmm. Uh, concealed, so you want to you know put some leaves over it and pay a lot for those leaves. This will increase the uh, target number to spot the trap by two. Um, and uh, I like this one just because it reminds me of a spell that I enjoy. Uh, knock prone. The target or targets of the trap are knocked prone. Because it's fun to knock people prone. I sometimes. think it, because both of those only reduce the damage by one d six at level at uh, the novice. If you just want to make an area of effect trap that trips people, you could just do that. <laughs> just you know, three by three area. Someone triggers the trap. All those people just fall prone. <laughs> fall down. And then you could have a grease trap on the floor. Oh. And then man. you could set it on fire when they fall down. <laughs> that's ooh. That's mean. That is mean. But. That's the idea. I'm just saying. This is, I'm coming. Yeah, this creative is what we're going solutions for. for your bad guys. This I'm here for, for you. This is what we're here uh, for. Journeyman gets some uh, cooler stuff as well. Uh, wide effect. So the trap now damages a four yard radius, which yeah, five by five would be, I think, a five by five. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'd be four yards in each direction. So I think we're looking at a five by five. That's sounds good to me. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a big area. That, that's a lot a, of stuff going down. That's a big old trap. Uh, this next one, though, is interesting. This is a weird thing. You can make your trap, and don't ask me how you do this, alluring? It now arrests the attention of the targets, requiring them to make a willpower self-discipline test or lose their actions for a round. They have to keep making those tests or they keep losing their actions. Actually, you know what? I know exactly how I would make this. Mm-hmm. You know, at Gen Con, I got this weird spinny, shiny thing <laughs> that like makes it look like a soap bubble when you spin it. 
and it arrested the actions yeah. of literally everyone who ever walked by it. So yeah. I think you just need to put one of those spinny dealies on there, and you've yeah, got yourself an alluring trap. Heck yeah. It was, however, it was kind of costly for what it was, so mm. it explains why the trap would cost more. But that is some solid crowd control. Yeah. Spinny, spinny shiny mm-hmm. things. Uh, um, hidden. Uh, you can make it, like, for real hidden, not just put some leaves on it. Uh, increases the target number to receive the trap by four, which is not bad. Uh, penetrating. Hurts. All the damage is penetrating. Oof. And slick. The trap creates a slick of flammable, like asterisks, flammable grease. Bold they, uh, now have to make tar- make dexterity tests as soon as they are exposed to it, and they have to, and they think, goodness, it makes it very difficult to move through, and of course, it can be set on fire, which deals penetrating damage to anybody who is in the area when they, uh, I'd say, I believe when they end their turn. Yeah, hurts, and master uh, master level just gets some rather super nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, Ex- one of the first ones mm-hmm. is expansive effect. Which is a six-yard radius, which is big. 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 It's going to be big. It's going to be a big one. Huge. Um, You can make it convoluted, which is uh, basically makes it kind of the Rube Goldberg machine of traps in that you're not really sure which part goes where. Where's this uh, thing going? How is, you know, how I just... I knocked over a domino. How did this start frying eggs for breakfast? I don't even know anymore. It uh, basically makes the uh, the, uh, the, the difficulty number. to disarm it by six, which that's, is that's rough. absurd. Especially if you're a master, because that makes that target number real high. Yeah, it does. Uh, there is fascinating, which is where instead of getting the little spinny stick that I got, you got like eight of them. No, there was a big one. Oh, God, was there was like a big one? It was $125, but it was like two feet tall. Oh, man. So that's like if you spring for the big spinny soap bubble magic stick, mm-hmm. and the target number for alluring becomes 17, because that is a big old shot. I tell you what, I saw that thing spinning, and I literally just stopped talking to my friends and turned around and started <laughs> walking in the direction of that booth. It's dangerous. You it's watch, very dangerous. You watch out for that. There was a master trap maker in that stall. Yep. And boy, do I just love this. It it explains itself. Self-igniting slick. <laughs> you know, it's a grease <laughs> slick, but the mecha- me- mechanisms of the trap set yeah, the grease on fire. Yeah, but you know, why Why should you have to light it on fire? It, it's a full-service grease trap. Mm-hmm. It just lights itself on fire. So, yeah, there's a couple of really nice things yeah. you can do with your traps if you uh, Slick get is good. Not, Slick is not kind looking at it again. Yeah, well, if it sets itself on fire, it's... <laughs> it's even worse. Even worse. It's a lot... Yeah, slicks don't actually grease. go away once you put once they once they go off. Yeah. Unless, they're, unless you wash them away or burn them away. Yep. Or actually, like, clean them off. They just stick around. It just kind of hangs course, out. I guess that self-igniting Slick is just going to be burning people. Yep. Beautiful. Slippery and burny. Mm-hmm. Alright, so... <laughs> the self-igniting slick trap could even be dealing damage anyway. Yes, that is true. It takes 3d6 away from your uh, damage dice, but it does in fact set all your stuff on fire. It does in fact set you and all your enemies on fire. You and all your enemies on fire. Yes. 
Hopefully not you. You probably hopefully got away from it. Speaking of which, um, how about how do yeah. we uh, trigger a trap? And more importantly, how perhaps would you trigger a trap not. and not trigger it for yourself? Once a trap is set, it waits. Traps Sentiently. Send, of Patiently. Course. Patiently. Absolutely. Thinking, man, I'm going to get these losers. Finding a trap is always a t- is usually a target number 13 perception seeing test if you are not actively looking for traps. And a target number 11 perception test, perception searching test if you are looking for them. Note that those that it is a different test depending on whether or not you're looking for mm-hmm. one. Perception seeing for just happening to notice one and searching if you're looking for it. Exactly. I was bad at both of those. Hmm. Yeah, yes. Now, once you find a trap, all that your character knows is that an uh, is that an object is trapped or an area is trapped. They don't actually know anything about the trap. No, making the perception check just alerts you to the presence of one. There could, in fact, be a trap uh, here. If your PC wants to know more about the trap, they are going to have to make a cunning engineering test with a target number that is based on the maker of the trap. The target is target number thirteen if the person who made the trap has the novice degree of the talent. 15 if they have the journeyman degree, and 17 if they have the master degree. Now, once you know where it, let's see, once you know where a trap is, you can try to get around it, but if you must trigger it to proceed, you automatically take half damage from it. This is, of course, still assuming that you know the trap is there. Yeah, that's a big assumption for some mm-hmm. of us. Big if. Now, uh, triggering a trap is all too easy, but disarming a trap, it's a little harder. Take some work. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you remember when you took that dexterity traps test and then you were like, well, why am I using dexterity crafting? What the heck is this dexterity traps thing for? Well, here it is. Well, it's for disarming traps. There you Bam. go, friends. Uh, it is uh, going to require a test based on the degree of talent the trap maker had. So it's the same setup. It's uh, 13 for novice, 15 for journeyman, and 17 for master. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, they Rube Goldberg it up and make it impossible to understand. Mm-hmm. Which they can do if they're really, really good. Oh, absolutely. Uh, these numbers <laughs> can, uh, like I said, they change if they add effects to increase those numbers. This means, oh man, you could have a DC 23. Target a tar- Sorry, target number 23 disarm trap. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. I don't think there's any rules that you can't stack these, actually, if you want to make it really difficult to disarm. I would assume but that because that would you can usually, well, you can also not uh, usually create two of an identical effect with a, mm-hmm. just one of the hard and fast rules. Fair enough. But uh, a 23 is anyway pretty much that's, unbeatable. That's still really nasty. Like, you're going to need, like, so, you know, at, at certain levels, some people just make all the communication persuasion tests. I'm sure I don't know what you're talking but, about. But, you know, that's, of course, waiting towards the later levels. So, target number 23, if you're a master of the trap, making business is still mm-hmm. going to serve you very well. Yeah, don't don't at me. Uh, the, uh, if you have the trap making talent, you get a bonus to disabling traps as per your degree. And you get a plus two to disable a trap if you succeeded at the cunning engineering test to figure out what the heck it does. Mm-hmm. It is a lot easier to disable a thing if you know what it's going to do to you when you fail. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could also just try to collect the pieces of the trap if you're really, really mm-hmm. good. Oh, I also forgot to mention that failing to disarm the trap does trigger it. Uh, yeah, I and mean... subjects you to the full damage uh, and the effects uh, and the effects of it. Of course, hit the person who is trying to disarm it. Yeah. That makes sense. Have fun. 
But uh, if you find a trap and you want to get the parts from it, then you can choose to increase the target number to disable it by two, and then try to disable it. Keep in mind that this makes it more likely that you're going to flub it up and take the full damage yourself. So just, you know, decide if you want to take that risk. I love, I love this little entry in the book. Uh, as an alternative to disarming, most traps can simply be set off from a distance. This always destroys the trap's components, may have other dangerous or hazard effect, hazardous effects depending on the situation and the GM's mad whim. <laughs> the words mad whim are actually used here. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. That's great. Good like stuff. If you, uh, Primo content. That's what I'm here for. If you set off a pit trap or something, and then there's a pit, and that pit is maybe bigger than you were thinking it was going to be, like, mm-hmm. what if it's a six by six pit? Maybe triggering the trap, like, removes a support beam or something. Yeah. And then the whole place <laughs> comes down. Whoops. Well. You know, fun stuff. Yeah. It's rough. Now, Life's hard. Uh, some possible complementary talents that you can take alongside if you uh, trap making. If you want to be a master trapster, uh, <laughs> trapster. Uh, yeah, is the first one. Trap the, the obvious one is the thievery talent, which of course is a rogue only talent. But it may see. But I mean, it gives you rerolls on some very important things, uh, namely uh, dexterity traps <laughs> and perception searching. Yeah. The first degree gives you lock picking, which you know that's 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 always helpful. That is nice, but yeah. getting to re-roll a de- a failed dexterity traps test, given what we are talking about, is kind of the golden ticket of uh, yeah. talent abilities. Like mm-hmm. you want this if you're going to be dealing with traps and you're going to be trying to figure out how to, especially if you're going to be the person who's like, I want to take these trap bits and make them my trap bits. You want this yesterday, right now. Uh, and even if you're going to be going looking for them, if you're a master in thievery, you're re-rolling your perception searching tests. That's pretty so solid. If the GM's tell, if you roll, if you're rolling looking for traps, uh, and the GM's like, "You're not finding much," do I get to use my re-roll? Yes, you do. Um, the GM could also make that re-roll for you in secret. Of course, absolutely. Because uh, that yeah, you know, metagaming can happen if you're like, mm-hmm. like you know, you don't see anything. But you can re-roll it because mad whims? <laughs> mad whimsy. Or maybe the player can just, you know, choose to re-roll it anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's no the cost, talent. yeah. There's no cost, and they won't, let's see, the GM didn't tell you whether you failed or not. And the GM, if you even if you made it, the GM could just choose to ignore that second roll. Yeah. Although I would argue that, as a player, I would argue it's like, if you fail a perception searching test, you can re-roll it. Mm-hmm. So you would, you know... I guess it's fair, because you would already think that you had failed because you didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. So you could be like, well, then I'll roll it again and see if I see it this time. I think that's fair. Also keep in mind that perception searching is good for things not besides traps. Like, mm-hmm. you might want to have that anyway. It's just useful. Mm-hmm. And now another one to take into uh, to, uh, consideration is observation. It is a fairly strong option for someone hoping to disable traps and recover parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the novice degree lets you choose empathy or seeing as a perception focus that you can re-roll. And, of course, getting to re-roll failed perception seeing tests means that if you weren't expecting there to be traps, uh, but the GM is rolling in secret for you and you fail, but they know you have observation, they roll for you again. That could save your life. You never Good. know. Uh, the journeyman degree gives you a discount on the That Makes Me Wonder stunt, which 
for trapping such and such, maybe not 100% useful, but it could also potentially, if there's more than one trap in the area, it could give you a free test to notice another trap. Yeah, you could be, you could sort of uh, be focusing on one trap and then mm-hmm. you realize that the entire room is a trap. And yeah. Remember that, that support beam that we were talking about? Yeah, maybe this <laughs> is how you notice that problem. Maybe the trap triggers the support beam and not the PCs. That's bad. Ooh, that's me. I like that one. Uh, and of course, the the master degree is nice because it lets you perform uh, the object of your attention stunt for for cheap, uh, and it gives you a larger bo- the object of your attention stunt gives you a larger bonus than normal, which means that if you roll stunts on that perception check to find the trap, and you use object of your attention, you can use it for cheaper, and you get bonuses on checks to disable the trap, collect its pieces, understand it. All of those things. So you're just you're just rolling it's, better. It's a good call. It's just smart. Yeah, go for it. Uh, some additional suggestions uh, if folks are feeling like maybe, especially once you start getting like PCs that have ten armor rating, that that six d six damage doesn't sound super enticing. We have a couple of suggestions for things to get a little and see to get a little more exciting. Yep. the uh, The first one, which you would uh, you kind of expect, mm-hmm. poison that thing up. I think we did mention this back in the poison making uh, episode. I think, but yeah, I think I said something about it. It's worth repeating. Yeah, if uh, if you got a friend with poison making, or you have it yourself, or you can purchase them yourself, one hundred percent put poison on your traps if your GM's cool with it. <laughs> GMs, you should be cool with it. It's a pretty standard thing to do to a trap. Yeah, totally. But that three yeah. t- d six damage also had giant spider venom. So not only do you take three d six damage, your dexterity is down by four for the rest of the con- for the rest of the encounter. Have fun with that. Woo! Fun stuff. Yep. So definitely, if you feel like combining those, that's a very iconic, very uh, sneaky, trappy, roguey thing to do. For sure. Or you can. And be, boy, will that ooh. irritate the ever loving heck out of your PCs if you are the bad guy. Doing this. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, another possibility, which is something I did in my home game, stack traps. Why does the yeah. door only have to have one trap? Why not three traps? I had to levitate us on a rug by staring <laughs> at the rug over the stairs because the stairs were no longer stairs. They were just a just a one sentient ball of traps. It was pretty crazy. It was the it was that trap maker's pre- magnum opus. Every single one of those steps was a pre- was pre- was a series of pressure plates, uh, which activated three traps that did four d six penetrating damage each. Just created this beautiful lattice work of blades going in between each other. I had to Aladdin us up the stairs. You did have to levitate a carpet to get up the stairs without just everybody dying because no one was particularly uh, comfortable with dealing with traps. It would have would have been bad. It would have been a whole new world. I guess so. Very fantastic point of view. <laughs> for as for as long as we were able to see. Yeah, no. So yeah, definitely stack your traps. You can, if you've got enough money and you want to make a place absolutely miserable to get through, just, you know, there's no reason you can't stack them all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, more of a suggestion for GMing tactics, uh, don't tell the PCs the target numbers of the traps. This may seem kind of obvious to some of you, but a lot of folks do like to share target numbers because it can speed up play sometimes if you're mm-hmm. telling your PCs, this is what you need. Did you say, so then the PCs don't have to be like, and so you don't have to be like, uh, roll this for me. Okay, I rolled this. This is the number I got. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes it. And you can say, roll this target number. And they'll be like, yes, I got it. 
Yeah. Or no, I didn't. Don't let, don't ruin the suspense. For that traps, said, yeah. after your trap session, you can be like, so do you want to know what the target number of that ridiculous trap was? And then you can totally tell them, and then they'll throw things at you because you probably made it very high. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking about it. But uh, yeah, that that keeps things interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, as one additional note, we do have a very short collection of sample traps uh, in a resources for your game page, I believe. I made a couple. Uh, I made several master level traps for our home game. They've been uh, tested. Don't worry. They've been tested, uh, and so I include. I put them. I put well. Several of them did. I put all of them and all of those in a little collection on a Google Doc, and it should be available through our resources yeah. for your game page if you'd like to see them. And we did I, not test the stair traps. No. Well. That particular build of the trap you guys did t- have to deal with a couple of times just in the series down below. Just not all at once. Mm-hmm. You guys were like looking around like, oh, here's one. Uh, and then you were being attacked by sentries and trying I'm to push sure we into just, the traps. I'm pretty sure we also just let Alora start walking through the traps after a certain point. Not unreasonable, you know. When you don't have a lockpick, or if your rogue isn't quite able to do that, just use your the warrior. The 12 armor rating warrior can probably handle it. Yeah, just, just let what her she, do it. That's what she's here for. She's got this. She's very good for it. Well, uh, I think that we have, uh, this evening, done a particular admiral very proud. One, one admiral, Akbar. <laughs> we now are very good at knowing whether or not it's a trap. Yes, we are. That was a Star Wars reference. It was. I know. <laughs> it's a good time. What are you going to do about it? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think we should, uh, let's see, uh, probably use some sort of disarming remark. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to the One is a Thetis podcast. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our Patreon page. If you support us with only $3 per month, you get to vote on our Patreon-only poll, which is worth twice as many votes as the other polls. If you support us with $5 per month, you get to hear the episodes a week early on Patreon. Anything you contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog and in the post for the show. If if you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on our social media. Feel free to leave a comment or a question or tell us how your Dragon Age games are going, because I love hearing about it. Yeah, we always want to know what you guys are up to. Absolutely. I always love hearing uh, uh, campaign concepts or what people are doing for their campaigns. we got one person Mm -hmm. who is going really off script and has had the characters go across the Arcadian Ocean. Well, there you go. And uh, the the Amaranthine Ocean. That's Uh. what it's called. Yeah. Arcadian Ocean is Pathfinder. That is, sorry, we uh, we do a lot of things. Yeah. But, you know, they've gone to the weird paradise across the Amaranthine Ocean, you know, so that's fun. That's not throwing out the script, that's just mm-hmm. writing a new, cooler script. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing with Priscilla. Yeah. So, we're down Elf for home. it. Heck yeah. Now, feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud, and if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. It really helps us out. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to the Ones of Thetis podcast. Uh, This is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. And this is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels. Thank you so much again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.